Okay. All right. So you reckon just start it like that and then... And then and then say, yeah, so the film we saw this week is Solo. So yeah. Jake, what did you think? Yeah, well, mate, I'm not going to lie. I've just already been recording. Ah! So, you know, I thought if we're just going to be all nervous about how to start this thing, we might as well just... Ramp it up, yeah. Do what sense. Mike Skinner does with his podcast and just kind of jump right in with a conversation. Well, so, here we go. As you sort of briefly heard, um, that was... That was me and Will, my co-host. Hello, I'm Will, his co-host. This is Will, I'm Jake. Um, This is us trying to work out how to introduce our new podcast. (laughs) We're both complete amateurs when it comes to this. Third years Um, at university. um, Just graduated. Just graduated. Well, graduate apparently that's the word. Yeah, we haven't got our grades yet. Yeah, exactly. um, You never know. This this podcast might take a dive in a couple of weeks. (laughs) Exactly. We we both have to. If we're grumpy in two, three weeks time, we do apologise. It won't won't be be the film. It won't be the film. (laughs) Um, But yes, uh, welcome to the 52 week film project. This is our concept to try and see if we can tackle a new film every week. Um, we're still kind of unsure on what the setup's going to be. We, at the moment, are trialling the idea that alternating weeks we're going to be reviewing a new movie. So we're going to be going to the cinema, hopefully on night of release, chatting about it over the weekend and then releasing that episode the following week. And then we were thinking on alternating weeks, we might do a series. So we're thinking at the moment of going through uh, Oscar Best Picture winners year by year. Um, but we're just going to like play around with it and see how it goes, really. Yeah. Um, Will, tell me something about yourself, mate. Hi, I'm Will. Um, no, yeah, so I'm third year English English uh, literature graduate at Birmingham. Not graduate yet. Um, I love films and that's why I'm here. Um, and I'm very excited to start this week because it's a film, well, it's a film, that's a film series is very close to my heart, which is Solo, a Star Wars story. Exciting stuff. Um, Initial thoughts, Jake. A little, little section, uh, well, initial thoughts. I, I mean, so we, we went and watched this film this morning. We were meant to watch it we were meant to watch it yesterday evening, but in Birmingham there were flash floods, which meant that we weren't really capable of doing it. Yes. So we kind of, we went there this morning. It's the, I think it's one of the first times I've been to a cinema at 10am. It was very odd um, going. Like the, the, the whole streets, like that did not look like we should have been, been there at that it point. Is, it is creepy. You're kind of looking around at the other people that are going to the cinema at 10 in the morning on a Monday and you're kind of thinking, who are these people? Like, <laughs> <laughs> what, yeah. do they, what do they do for I mean, a living? Yeah, you say that, um, we... we did exactly that. Yeah, true. But yeah. I mean, we look young enough to be sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Student got, life. You got some like 30 year old blokes in there in like Adidas trackies. Do you think you're like, <laughs> yeah, I'm not so sure. <laughs> what are um, you doing? Yeah. Um, but no, we went to go and watch it. We watched it in an Odeon Lux cinema, oh, which is exciting. Just, just as a thing, and I, I don't think we're going to get sponsored by Odeon, but just to say, Odeon Lux cinemas, congratulations they on are what. What a setup! Yeah, you I, have like seats that like go up and down. You've got a tray. Reclining seats. Yeah, I, I think they give every man a run for their money. Yeah. And, and the brilliant thing about the one in Birmingham is because it's only just been redeveloped. They're not charging people for Lux tickets. I don't know if you knew that. Oh, I didn't know which that. Is, no. Which is wicked because I think they're normally like eighteen quid, and wow. you pay like the regular you pay the regular adult price. Um, but yes, we went to see Solo, a Star Wars story. I am, you know, I'd say I'm a reasonably big Star Wars fan. I I don't know as much about the lore. I don't know as much about the kind of like the real, the fan service bits that will have cropped up in this film. You care about the franchise a lot more than I do. But coming off the back of Last Jedi back in December 2017. This might be a continuing thing in this podcast is that me and Jake both went to see Last Jedi together and really struggled with it. I thought it it was a real crock of shit, Really struggled with it. I know, I know that there was like there was huge hype about. Everyone knows the story, but huge hype about Rian Johnson directing, taking over from J.J. Abrams so much so that he's been handed his own trilogy. Um, I it just was, thought, it was, it was going to be like the new big. thing. It was going to. Everyone was saying it's going to be the new empire. It's going to be. It's going to change things. Franchise defining. Yeah, like the drift away from the original material, but in a new, exciting way. And, and I they just, had like I Mark just, Hamill talking about it, like he was like it was the best thing that there was ever. I, I, I just thought it was lazy. I just thought the world building was quite boring. I didn't think that there were many exciting locations. I thought the creatures that they introduced were quite average. Yeah, no, nothing like nothing like the like the the BB-8 thing in The Force Awakens where you can generally relate to that character. Exactly, exactly. Um, and I tell you what, like, 
and Leia flies. That, yeah, what a, <laughs> and what, Leia flies. What an awful sequence. Yeah, I know. I mean, I'm, I'm all for, I thought, I thought they did a fantastic job with bringing that character back, especially, especially after Carrie Fisher passed away. Yeah. But I, I still don't get why the one actress who isn't, the one of the iconic trio that yeah. isn't actually still alive anymore is still a character in the film. Yeah. While the other two have been axed. Like, it yeah. just baffled me. Like, but anyway, like Last Jedi aside, this going off the back of that, I was hoping for big things from Solo. I don't know about you, but I, yeah. I really, I was looking forward to something. I thought Rogue One was good. I, you're I, a I've, huge fan. Well, I have seen Rogue One five times now. I've seen it, seen it. Well, it doesn't matter how many people I saw it with. I've seen it five times, and it's for me. It's there's problems that I find in Rogue One as a film. I think there are. They, they do a bit too many times going to different planets that like I didn't the think last... the character development was perfect yeah, I, mean, I just the... thought the ragtag group wasn't that dynamic yeah but the last 45 minutes of that to an hour of that whole film is just for me as a fan it's like, like, thrilling like, it's it is, so it thrilling it is good and, it, and it, I'm sorry I thought it was it, there's something to say about it being the first spin-off, there was something nice about it. Streamlined nature. Yeah. It was fun. It wasn't bogged down in nostalgia, but it also wasn't um, devoid of character. It also um, looked stunning. Yeah, but it, the CGI, the CGI in Rogue One was was so good that it just, it didn't really look like CGI. It looked like those things were actually flying. Yeah. Whereas I think a lot of the Force Awakens and Last Jedi CGI, for me, is a bit too stylized. Yeah. I get it. They they tried, especially with like the whole red fight sequence towards the end. They yeah, try very exactly. hard to make it visually striking, and it's almost it gets in the way. Exactly. Rather yeah. than being kind of, I'm not I'm not saying Star Wars ones have to be realistic by any means. No, but, but they I need to be immersive. Yeah, they do, and they need to be relatively um, believable, mm, and exactly. not just not just like oh, this was something that was thought of on a storyboard that would, would look good in a movie like yeah. this is a real thing that potentially happened in a galaxy far far away you know oh you've used the tagline oh, I, I was waiting, I was waiting. <laughs> it had to come up at some point but anyway though no, i thought rogue one was yeah by all means like a good entry into the spin-off section of the star wars world yeah um and then all the reports started coming out about solo like the, just the, like the whole Alden Ehrenreich needs a like a hand with his acting on set. Like he needed um, someone to help him along. After Chris Miller and Phil Lord left and Ron Howard came in, they shot apparently about 70% of it again. Which is um, great. Like there's film reshooting is not a new thing. But like if you look at Suicide Squad and stuff like that, but 70% of a film yeah. is incredible. Yeah, well, allegedly. Yeah. Like well, I suppose we'll never know. And I, I saw a I saw a comment from Ron Howard. He was very gracious about it. And obviously, Chris Miller and Phil Lord are on this project still as executive producers. That's what they come up as in the credits. And I, I suppose you, we'll never really know how much was their take, which was meant to be a slightly more comedic approach. Yep. And how much was Ron Howard's kind of come in and steer the ship right kind of approach. There was one moment um, in the film, um, I know we're jumping ahead a bit, but there was one moment in the film, which is the Chewie and Han Solo sh sour, shower, uh, shower scene. Yeah. And <laughs> um, weird. we were like, okay, this might actually have been them directing it, directing it, and then the whole thing rest well, of it's I remember, cut. Like, I mean, we'll go, we'll go through it in a bit, but yeah. I remember when... There, there is this awkward scene once Chewie's kind of involved in the film and he's part of the gang there is this weird scene where Solo's kind of washing himself down and Chewie kind of gets in the shower next to him but then like I thought alright like you know maybe that is funny and I'm not really finding it very funny but then like later on like five or ten minutes down the line there's a bit where they're all sitting around a campfire and then they're talking about like whether Solo has like a girl back home and it, it cuts to Chewie and he looks like grumpy yeah <laughs> I don't know whether their original version of this film was meant to kind of allude to some kind of like sexual chemistry between a Wookiee and a man but it like it was odd it never it never comes back round no that's the, but, those are the last time, two times you see it in this film but it was it was it was odd yeah. but anyway I think generally speaking throughout this film there wasn't really a moment where I felt like it was obvious that there were two versions being tugged against each no, other no it felt coherent it felt like a, there was a through line with the it story it did feel consistent yeah it, yeah it definitely felt like a together plot it felt like the acting was all pretty pretty good um, the characters develop in a reasonable way 
I would I I don't know whether they're better. De- I would say they're better developed than Rogue One characters. I think there's less in the main core group, and so you um, um but also so it, it, you can give more screen time to them. Yeah. But also, I think there's a lot of work to develop each character, and there's lot there's not as much because this is sort of a new, unique story. There's like not as much as we have to get to this. We have to get to this place to this place to this place. It's more like we're just here with the characters. We're chilling out with the characters. We can see what their interactions are like. Yeah. Yeah. What did you think of the titular hero? What did you think of Alden Aaron Wright? I, I don't know if I'm saying that right. I have like, no well, idea. I was I was actually like going away from the. I've just just I've got I've got I notes here. I've, I've got the notes. I was like, how do I say that? No, I'm going to say Alden Wright. <laughs> Taron Egerton. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> he would have been good. He was. He was. Um, Egerton would have been good. Yeah, because yeah. They, they, well, they had about three thousand people yes. do the casting call for Solo, and apparently Aaron Wright stood out. But it had loads of people, it, like loads of famous cream of the crop young Hollywood male actors, including Taron, who is going on to do the Robin Hood film. I don't know whether that was a reason why he Couldn't didn't do, it. do this. I don't know whether maybe he was, yeah, I, I would assume he was shortlisted. I know that Miles Teller was shortlisted. Miles Teller Which is quite interesting. interesting. But I feel like, I don't know if he would have come off as a bit too much of an arrogant solo. He's got quite a cocky streak to him as yeah, an actor, yeah. which he's proved doesn't always have to exist through like, I don't know, I thought his role in Whiplash was incredible. It's oh, yeah. A tremendous film. Um, but yeah, there are a lot of actors. Well, and I think- well, the thing that I was thinking about that is that it's, it, Alden Eckwright's done a couple of films, he's done Hail Caesar, um, Apparently he's amazing. I haven't watched that's a Coen Brothers film, isn't it? It's the Coen Brothers film. Which I, I have not watched it either, but I've watched the two minute segments of him and um, I can't remember the name Voldemort. Um, uh, I don't. I can't remember do, his name uh, either. I've, in, just in this last second of Coen Brothers, but um, that scene of would would it were too simple? Incredible scene. Um, but that's the that's the, maybe the, the reference I see him from. He's not he's not done like Kingsman, like Taron's done, or Whiplash, like Miles has done. And Star Wars has always gets these like new. Actors, yeah, John Boyega and Daisy Ridley haven't exactly, done a lot, have they? And exactly. they are tremendous. Exactly. So they always try. And, I think they always try and strive for new talent. But then you say that, and then Felicity Jones is in Rogue One, which and she's quite famous. Yeah, but yeah, then yeah, comparatively, but then I, so. to be fair, like until you said her name, I didn't remember who she was. Yeah. Um, I see. It, it, the thing is, it depends what you watch. I mean, a, a character in Solo, one of the droids, L three, which is uh, Lando Calrissian's sidekick, is played by Phoebe Waller Bridge, who's of is it Fleabag? It's Fleabag, yeah. Right. And I've, I, I, through the reviews that I've seen, some people absolutely adore her as an actress, but also adore her in the role. I have no idea. I've never watched her in anything else. I have nothing to benchmark my opinion of her acting by. The but only people thing, really like her. Yeah, she, I've not seen her in Fleabag, and apparently that is the performance where people are like, okay, she's incredible. I've seen her in Broadchurch, and she was good, but it was not a it was not a fleshed out enough part. Yeah. And she's only a series one regular. Well, and she comes back once in season two. The thing is, like, I mean, you're going through the characters. You got Han played by Alden. I think he was he did a lot better than I expected him to do. I was thinking that this film was going to have a bit of a slow burn build I thought it was going to be like the first 20 minutes or so you'd be a bit like oh I don't really know about this but it, it grabs you right from the start immediately it's, yeah it's a real hedonistic like Han's got this um, I don't know this, he's stolen something which is going to get him and Kiara who's his girlfriend played by Amelia Clark, out of the like the clutches of this lady Proxima who's like this uh, gang leader who essentially gets people to go and yeah. rob places for her etc who Very looks great. like an extended alien. Yeah, like a giant centipede. It is. It's, 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 but it's cool though. Immediately, like she's in like the first three or four minutes and I already thought in the, in the first kind of sequence where you have them facing her and kind of apologising for fucking up and then escaping and there's like a like a, a, a car, ch- would you call it a car, a hovercraft chase? Well, I was looking, um, I was looking at some backstage photos. It is a car. Like they are just they are driving around a car, right? And just okay. so all the uh, all the like handbrake turns, etc., is done as a car. And and so they've they like green screened out the bottom of the car. Yeah. That's cool, which is okay. cool because it makes it more natural. Yeah, I thought yeah, it was yeah. completely just like essentially like a moving board yeah. that would just move with that. But yeah, that's cool. But done like that. It, like with all of that, within like the first fifteen minutes, you've had this crazy rush of them like escaping the clutches of this gang leader. Uh, them in this like desperado style, uh, almost like wild west style yeah. car chase. 
Um, and then they get to like this station where they're going to try and escape and they bribe an official, but then Kiara doesn't get through the door and Han does. It really and sets up the stakes of the whole exciting. film. It's exciting. It really it is does. really exciting. And it's the whole, uh, yes, yes, you could argue it's quite cliche, but it's the whole like hedonistic young love. They're yeah. going to get out there and they're going to get their ship and they can be free, you know. Um, but it's cool. And he's cool. And he kind of quips back. And when he's like being told off by this lady Proxima, one of her like goons hits him. And he's like, uh, what does he say? It's something like, uh, I'm not going to be, he says like, I'm not going to be hit again or something like that. He says yeah, something yeah. cool. And you, you're there like, this is interesting. Like I didn't, I didn't think at any point in the film that he was bad. No. I thought he was really, he, he was, um, it was all well choreographed. He was an interesting lead. He had a lot of good quips. Like after the the initial scene, it like jumps to three years later, and he essentially like in desperation because he wants to get back to this planet Corellia to save his girlfriend. He joins the Imperial Army so that he can eventually become a pilot and go back. And it doesn't really pan out, and it cuts to like this whole trench warfare scene, and he like. Quit, he, he like quips back at his like imperial leader, yeah. doesn't he? Like another stereotypical grey-suited British bloke. I and love the like, British people, like the constant British officers good, in, Star, in Star Wars. I just, I just, I just find it quite a funny thing. Now. It is, it is really interesting. Yeah. Um, but also, what an interesting dynamic that's set up from the Empire as well is that the Empire, for uh, spoilers or whatever, um, the Empire in this film is not throughout. It's more, it's more sort of the smugglers and the bounty hunters and yeah. the clans and the gangs, um, but. The Empire's role of having like foot soldiers, like Han being a foot soldier, and then questioning that. The everything that the Empire the Empire has is really interestingly set up. It's like a nuanced thing in the background. And, it, and it's different because you haven't seen like it, it, it almost looks like kind of World War One trench warfare fought with blasters. Yes. And it's dirty and it's muddy. And like there's this bit where he's with this Imperial leader, and this Imperial leader's like, right, we have to make our advancement now. And he's like, Oh, great, more mud. And like he's like, What did you say? Yeah. Like, and he's just like doing his classic quips um but i think the key thing about his performance is that he's not just doing a harrison ford impression no he's doing right. a very very nuanced like it's 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 han solo that you recognize but at the same time it's it's alden edridge's version of that it's not him just constantly trying to hang on the same nuances the same way of saying a phrase he, 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 he's he, also like if progressing through the film, he goes from, without it being really like obviously stated through exposition, he goes from being a relatively wide-eyed, naive, I can conquer whatever kind of guy to eventually, towards the end of the film, successfully um, double-crossing a double-cross. In yes. like the like the penultimate section of the film, um, he essentially thinks smarter than the smartest people in the film. And it shows how he goes from being that kind of like lovelorn, lucky crusader to being like a calculated smuggler. Mm. And he learns that he, he retains his charm, but it becomes a little bit less wide eyed by the end of the film. And it's not incredibly obvious. No, it's actually very good acting because it's, it's all in the facial expressions. It's all in his reactions to the double crosses. He, he changes There's a lot character. of betrayal in this film. It's interesting. Film. It's very interesting. Betrayal of people that you wouldn't expect to betray as well. We were, we were, we kind of thought at the beginning, um, like after we get reintroduced to Kira, it's like, oh, 100% she's going to um, betray. And sure enough, at the end, she does betray in, in some way, which we'll talk about later because, dear me, that cutscene. Um, but, um, yeah, but um, she... There's more twists and turns with it than you expect, and it's, and, it, and they're, it, they're very good. And also, you kind of like I, I get that maybe in hindsight you could look back at some of the twists and turns and be like, oh, that was quite predictable. How come I didn't see that coming? Like, oh, I didn't realize that Woody Harrelson's Tobias Beckett, who's like a you know a a heist con man, I like he's let you're led down a path that he's very genuine the whole film. Yeah, and then you kind of he does betray them. But then you eventually realise that he's not doing it for any particular reason. He's not doing it for Dryden Voss, like the the head of the crim. What are they called the Crimson Crimson. I was going to say Crimson Shadow, but I feel like that's a that's a the head of the big gang group. Yeah. He's not doing it for them. He's doing it for himself. And you realise that all he really cares about is the score. Um, and so it's not the kind of emotional betrayal that the, the same emotional betrayal as Kiara betraying Solo is. Exactly. It's more of a means to an end situation where he just wants to get his money and go and it's not anything against Solo. He likes him. He thinks he's a sweet kid and they have lots of nice interactions throughout the film where he's kind of trying to 
foster a more wise attitude in in Han instead of his kind of like go get him attitude, kind of getting into like rein it in a bit. But all the while he knows that he kind of like he would kill him if he had to yeah. at a moment's notice. And this brings us on to the fact that in the film, there's not actually a lot of villains. It's more looking at the nature of being an anti-hero yeah. and what that actually means. Um, even Solo, to a certain extent, is it, it, you could argue. No one in the film is sinless. No. Which is what's interesting is there you're introduced to a series of essentially con, con artists, gang leaders, lieutenants of gang leaders, stuff like that. Um, and marauders, and none of them are perfect. They're all um, blemished, as it were. Yep. They all have their different faults, and it's it's refreshing to not watch to, to well to watch a Star Wars film that isn't light versus dark, good versus evil. Even was, even if that say, was yeah. quite, even if that was kind of they tried to twist that a bit in the Last Jedi in the whole casino sequence in a bit of a shit way. Oh, let's Benicio Del Toro. Anyway, we'll get out of it. But, but, but point being, they were all, they were even characters that didn't have a lot of screen time in this film were relatively three-dimensional. Yep. For example, the arguably lead villain in the film, the overarching issue is that Solo, Tobias Beckett, Chewie, Etc. They're like ragtag gang. They're indebted to Dryden Voss, who is played by Paul Bettany, um, of based, of Vision fame, of of of, of Knight's Tale, fame. of Nate Knight's Tale fame. He's indeed. done so much of Da Vinci stuff. Code fame. Oh yeah, he's good yeah. at playing creepy British he's, guys. He is a he's a creepy British guy. He's like, a creepy British guy. He's great. Yeah. But I also remember watching in the like he's got like these weird markings on his face in this film. And I was thinking, is he capable of doing a modern day film where he doesn't have some kind of weird thing on his face? Well, even in Da Vinci with, Code, with he's got an it, albino face yeah. that has made a big thing of it. In Priest, he has a black cross on his face. Oh God, Priest! Yeah, I know. Yeah. But anyway, point being, Dryden Voss or Paul Bettany's version, he's only actually in the film, I think there's two major scenes or sequences where he's in it. Yeah. Not anymore. He probably gets about 10 minutes screen time, maybe a bit less. Yeah. And he's terrific. No, he is. He, he knows exactly what the character's doing. He's just a heartless, uh, rich gang leader who has this swanky ship yeah. where he's constantly hosting parties. It's very lavish, very cool design. Like you kind of like when you're first introduced to the ship, it's essentially what's happened is Solo and Beckett and Chewie have cocked up and they haven't successfully stolen this um, explosive substance called coaxium from well the the train sequence that you see in the trailers the weird revolving train going around the mountain which is interesting because I was certain that that was going to be the final scene I thought that was going to be one of the pivotal sequences yeah, but no it, was, it comes early it, it was nice to feel like there was a lot left out of the trailers mm -hmm. that was good yeah um, but no they they turn they basically they they muck the train robbery up and this coaxium stuff explodes it's got this really really cool inverse implosion kind of thing where essentially like the mountaintop, you see this massive explosion then it kind of sucks itself in like yeah. a black hole and, the, and, and the then, way and that then it, explodes. it all crumbles. Yeah, the way it explodes as well. It's like, it's like, like little dots on the screen. It's, a, yeah. it's like it's moving. It's, oh, it's great. Yeah, it is cool. Like it's not, it's not unbelievable. It's still a mountain exploding in kind of like breaking in a realistic way, but yeah. it's kind of, it's done in a, like you look at it and you're like, oh, cool. Hmm. Um, but so anyway, has, yeah. they, they go, they go to Dryden to essentially be like, to essentially bargain the fact that yes, they haven't successfully got the score for him, but they can get it from elsewhere. Um, and his ship is like, it's this golden ship. You go in and there's uh, this golden singer with this weird like mouth box And then on. the alien that's next to it <laughs> as well. The weirdest, the, like there are some really interesting creatures in this film. I'll give yep. it that. Um, but the weirdest one it kind is of like this, a Dalek I, do you know what I think it looked like it, essentially this is the other singer so there's like a there's like a woman in gold singing and then there's this weird kind of green blobby creature with a little intercom yep. that's in like a glass um, container yep. and it looks like the preserved heads of the presidents in Futurama Yes. It was it was yes. killing me in the film and it was bothering me way too much because it's only on screen for about three seconds, but I was thinking, what does that look like? What the hell does that look like? See, I and went it's, more it's, it's the future armor heads. And you know that they like their little their their sound comes out of their little voice box at the bottom oh, of the tank. Oh, that's a very good fact. It is exactly like it, yeah. isn't yeah. it? I was thinking more face of both from Doctor Who. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah which that's could true. also work. Yeah, 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 but, yeah definitely. Uh, no, very odd aliens, but very fun aliens. Yeah. I was going to ask about the um, that scene that you were talking about in terms of the different the train sequence. No, no, the, the um, okay, yeah. the bar scene. Um, I thought it was interesting that you had the golden, rich, lavish party bar, and then the next scene almost is when they when you introduce Lando is the grotty. A fight club, rapscallion bar. Yeah. bar where I thought it was quite nice. Kind of cheating, and you don't really know what's yeah. going on. Yeah, that was probably the most um, realistic and cool cantina sequence that I've seen in Star Wars films. And there's a lot of them to go by. Yeah, and I suppose if you include Dryden's ship and the the first meeting of Lando Calrissian, that, that's about a 15 minute sequence where you're going from the lavish luxury environment with like the tough crime boss to the kind of seemingly more hostile environment in terms of it's quite grubby the creatures all look a bit fucked up like robots are fighting each other in this weird like robot wars-esque like MMA I was going to say I was like did they get that from robot wars I don't know what that was Craig Charles but on it, the phone it basically, it basically looks like two refrigerators fighting with chainsaws doesn't it it's, it's strange yeah um, I also think the ro- if you were having a robot thing you wouldn't pay for the, to fight with those robots no because it's just two boxes fighting each other yeah exactly you want something a bit more exciting yeah exactly um, they've not done a good job on design but no it, it is, it's, a, it's a very cool sequence where they go from kind of the cream of the crop to the bottom of the lot um, but they're both very vibrant environments. They're very interesting. I thought it was one of the coolest yep. areas of the film. Um, Bringing us on to that, though, what did you think of Donald Glover's Lando Calrissian? Uh, like, so you know I'm a big Donald Glover fan. I know you're a big I, Donald Glover fan. For years now, I've followed kind of like his music project, Childish Gambino. I've also I'm a big lover of Community, which he's I'd say the the, the star of. Um, he's absolutely hilarious. And even from back when he was doing his Derek comedy stuff on yeah. YouTube, which oh, fuck, that must be like nine years ago now, something like that. Yeah, it's a long it's like time ago. It's like the start of YouTube. And there were some of the like first viral comedy sketches. Um, and then I've traced it all the way through to his kind of new kind of like artful stuff, like the This Is America things, but also like his monumental TV show, Atlanta. Um, and he he's not shy of being a very talented actor. He's really like honed that craft. He's not just a jack of all trades anymore. He's a potential future Oscar winner, you know, yeah. if, if he's, if he's given the right roles and he wants to commit to that, that side of things. Um, Which he, I think he's going to because he's trying to end childish Gambino. Well, he's closing that off. Well, seemingly, because he's just re—he's just released "This Is America" and another song called "Saturday." Oh, he's looks such like an enigma. He—he he can. Yeah, he is. He's a mysterious guy. What did you and, say the other day? He's a—he's a better Kanye. Yeah, he. Well, <laughs> no, you know, he's—he's a, he's a more. Um, he's a more. He knows how to clarify and condense his thoughts. Yeah, which Kanye doesn't know how to do. No. Now, I'm not going to stand here and say that I don't think Kanye's a genius because I think musically he's—he's he's incredible. He's so talented. But he, he really struggles to um, explain himself and kind of like get his creativity out in a way that people understand. Whereas Childish Gambino can do it. He's very understated, but he really thinks about what he's going to say and he makes sure people will understand it. And he knows there's a sort of through line between project to project to project. It's almost like he's, he's growing yes, as an artist. Yeah, yeah. And he's not crazy for the sake of being crazy. He's like, he's very understated. He has mm. almost no social media output, whereas Kanye's like hounding people on Twitter 24-7. Um, so yeah, no, I, in summary, I really like Donald Glover. I think he's great. Um, I just felt like the majority of his role as Lando Calrissian, I feel like they played it safe with the character. I think that he... There's no risks behind there's no ri- There's no risks in it. They could have been a bit more extravagant with it. They could have given him a bit more screen time. I don't really feel like he's in it a lot. Maybe a bit less than people expect, especially considering people seem to be talking about his role more than Alden Ehrenreich's role. Yeah. Um, but I just thought, I just thought he he was his his regular affable self. Yeah. I thought he was great, um, but I didn't think he was brilliant, which a lot of people are saying. Um, I think towards the end of the film, when the stakes get a bit better, when, for example, his sidekick, Elfrey, gets caught in the battle and she she unfortunately dies and he's kind of like nursing her while Han's making the like eponymous parsec run. I, I, I think that he's good when he's given that chance to kind of let the emotion flow. Yes. Um, I also think that toward, like right at the end of the film, um, when him and Han have another game of Sabacc and Han stops him from cheating and wins the Millennium Falcon 
fair and square, which didn't happen in first meeting that they have. Um, I think that he's very funny, very, very funny. Um, I just think it took a long time for him to warm up. Yeah, I'd agree. I liked it more, I'd say, more than Jake did, but I, I, st- I do agree with a lot of the points you're saying. I think, though, it's very similar to what Billy D. Williams did, which was kind of understated. People would think about um, that part as being more... Um, wham bam except that it actually is but like I I, I, re- I appreciated it but I also liked how him and Alden re- interacted with each other they, I'd say that's my yeah. favourite part of their thing is so, that those two as reacting to each other was great yeah definitely like when they go to steal the new load of coaxium from is the, is the place called Kessel yeah, the place is called Kessel right so yeah. they, they, they do another kind of New Hope-ish style put Han and Chewie in handcuffs and get them to break out against the, well, not stormtroopers, but against the villains. Yeah. And then they steal it from the inside kind of thing. I think it's really funny. And when they're breaking out, um, there's this excellent bit where there's like pandemonium because loads of like prisoners have been released and everyone's fighting and Lando comes out and he's got his like really cool pistols and he's firing away and then he sees Solo coming and he goes Han and he like chucks him his spare pistol yeah. and, and Solo catches it and then they're like side by side and they kind of like wink at each other and then they're like firing away I think that was one of the coolest coolest moments in the film I thought that was really like that was really striking I agree um, the whole Castle Run sequence was generally great like from the from the because at the, at the start they have to go into the mines the way they do that uh, we were talking about it and we were saying that um, and like the Amelia Clark is pretending to be this aristocrat and with the two slaves yeah. um, Han Chewie I was like that's so a new hope reference that's just it was big. it was really funny yeah it, it was, was really, really funny. funny and it, it wasn't um, overbearingly nostalgic it was it no, was, it, was no. it was relatively fresh there was also a really great bit in that sequence where Han and Chewie are making their way to steal the coaxium and Chewie sees some Wookiees being beaten up by the soldiers and Chewie's kind of like that he needs to go and help them and Han's like no but we've got a mission come on Beckett said stick to the mission and then Han kind of looks at him and he realises like this is the reason he's on the mission yeah 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 like Chewie wants to eventually his end goal is to find his family so if he sees a chance to kind of help some Wookiees like He's going to want to do it. And up until that point, Chewie's kind of been doing everything that's been asked of him. He's kind of been seen as a bit of a means to an end, even though him and Han have been developing their friendship. But it's that point for me that I thought was really sweet because Han is like, yeah, go on, go and do it. And you're going to need this and gives him like a a weapon. Um, And it was nice because I think it was the first time in the film that any of the characters had acknowledged that Chewie had his own motivations and like, wasn't just yeah. a tag along who is stronger and more capable and is like able to do the things that they need him to do. And especially in the recent films is that Chewie's become essentially an extra. He's become a character where he makes a funny noise at, at inappropriate moments or that kind of thing. Um, so it's quite nice he to see him get was, his proper story yeah, in he, this. He was definitely relegated in Last Jedi to just playing with Porgs and I thought that was rubbish. Well, like, that's the thing. It, it, I, I, I really get annoyed when, like, like Last Jedi, when they... Chewie's looks like a dog or looks like an animal, but you don't have to treat him like he's an animal. Like you no. can add that into his character. He's actually a six foot ten Finlandian bloke. Exactly. <laughs> and we saw in this film that how how no he's not actually. Sorry, ignore the previous point. Do you know who played Chewie's um, like other person with that scene? What? Oh, do you mean right? So for context, yeah, context. Like they, they Chewie in this whole Kessel Run sequence successfully like save some other Wookiees who then, then come and save Han they, they, they end up helping the crew and then there's this really lovely moment where the the gang the core gang are about to get back on the Millennium Falcon and he like bumps his heads with the other Wookiee who um, is Anthony Daniels C-3PO oh wow which is really weird I, I read it on is I was, there, what is there a reason for that or is it just he's been in most Star Wars like he was, he's in like the back of Revenge of the Sith he's like in the cantina or some whatever in Phantom Menace okay. like that man like loves to be in a Star Wars film mm. apparently though Anthony Daniels and Kenny, Kenny Baker hate each other like it's, it's a long known thing really the guy plays R2-D2 yeah it's from what I've heard, and it's not I, this is not me like doing any, like anything problematic. Anthony Daniels can be a bit of a problematic man. From what I've heard, really, I bit, can't a bit of judge. A diva. Bit of a diva. I can't mm. judge that, and I, I've not seen enough footage of him being a diva to know that. But from what I've read, people don't like working with Anthony Daniels. Right. Um, okay. Which is interesting that in fact he's come back. But he's a, he's a legend. Like that's yeah. a cool fact that he's back for this film. But no, aside from that, I thought like the whole Kessel, the whole Kessel sequence is really cool. And then they 
do the eponymous yeah. Kessel run. So Which, they, they escape in the ship. And the the concept here is that L3 is dying in Lando Calrissian's arms and he's too upset to be able to fly the Falcon. So he kind of, there's this great moment where he's kind of there with half her body in his arms and Han like looks at him and they don't say anything, but Lando like nods and Han's like, I've got it. And then like, it's kind of like his seal of approval. Like, yes, you can fly my ship. At which point me and Jake clutched each each other in the cinema. It was a great moment. It's like the Falcon. It is a great moment, even if you're not a huge Star Wars fan. And it's the fact that like prior to the whole Kessel sequence, when they first arrive back, well, not arrive back, arrive back for us, but first arrive on the Millennium Falcon, um, both L3 and Lando are quite prude with them, quite curt about like, don't touch that, don't touch that. This is mine. We're flying. This is my seat. Like, what is it that like, Han's sitting in L3's seat next to Lando, like the co-pilot seat, and she comes over and says, like, what did she say? Like, get your presumptuous ass out of my seat. Yes, get something. your presumptuous ass out of my it, seat. It, it was like, whoa, like, you guys are really protective of this ship. Like, and then they finally give him the go-ahead. And there's this whole thing about how he goes through this, he goes into like a really dark part of space. I don't know. How, they're escaping TIE fighters. They go into this dark part of space. And... Han has this theory that he'll be able to get out. It's essentially a shortcut. And they upload L3's kind of navigational thing to the ship so that they can find a route Which is out. convenient that she's got the best navigation guide in the galaxy, but I don't care. It's no, so it, like, it, 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 it's fine. It's a bit like, oh, there's seemingly no way out of this situation. Yeah, exactly. Let's invent a solution. Um, but it is cool. And they find a route. It's, well, no, they don't find it immediately. Essentially, there's this giant tentacle creature that comes out of nowhere, and there's this cool sequence where the Falcon's like zipping in and out of its legs, which is very then, Empire Strikes Back when yeah. Han's flying away from that. I want to say it's like a Narlock or something, but I'm not sure that's. Oh, exactly I don't know right. what they're called. Uh, no, the big, it's a big, yeah, big, big snappy mouth thing. Big snappy mouth thing. Yeah, that's what go. they're now called. Big snappy mouth. I should do screenwriting. In terms of the the, the eponymous line in New Hope is that Han Solo can do the Kessel Run in 12 parsecs. Now, parsec is like a measurement of distance. Okay. Um, no, measurement... Oh, hang on. I'm just going to... This is what... I've, I've known that people do this in podcasts. I'm just going to research some notes so I get the exact terminology because oh, it's it. important. Jake, talk. No, so, yeah, I mean, while, while you're talking about that, I think that it that whole sequence, I know that it's going to be quite beloved. Um, people really do care about that whole line, that whole concept, and it's never been brought to film. It's always been referred to kind of incessantly throughout the franchise. Um, and I think they, it, it's interesting. You've got the giant tentacle monster. There's this giant red hole. I don't know what they call it, like the mouth. It's like a black hole yeah. sucking everything in. And they eventually like suck the creature in. And then L3's system finds them a route and they're just about to make the jump to hyperdrive. And then they start getting sucked in after the creature. And you think like all hope is lost. And then they like rocket out of there. Well, they push the button and the whole thing doesn't work. And we're like, oh, yeah, okay. You're, you're that was build like, up. Oh, this is exciting. And then literally like, they get next to the black hole and then it speeds off. It's like, ah, clever. But, see what but you've but done again, there. Another kind of typical film cliche, but that I just didn't see coming. Exactly. They played with I your don't expectation. Know if, I don't know if we were being a bit um, I don't know if we were kind of in the right mindset to just not be really judgy of the sequences or whether it genuinely is that twisty turny as a film for other people. But I feel like I'm the first to kind of be a bit critical of something really obvious happening in a film. And I feel like even though a lot of relatively obvious plot points occur in this film as a whole, I didn't see most of them coming. Yeah. And also we then compare to both watching The Last Jedi together and having... The, the plot points that were a problem were really a problem. Whereas in this film, the whole film was the whole film was so good. The plot points that were like, yeah, it didn't really matter that much. Yeah. Um, so have you got this fact? Yes, then? it's here. Um, so essentially a parsec's a measurement of length. It's 19 trillion uh, miles, which is a long time. So how would you measure speed in terms of length? It doesn't really make sense. So the idea is, is that um, to solve this, you have to do a shortcut. And in the comics... They have the Kessel as the planet, right. and they have more still, and it's they take a shortcut through there. Um, and the only thing that's really changed is the fact that L3's navigation system is in. So I thought it was an interesting fact. But um, cool. yeah, and it's mentioned now a couple of times. So it's mentioned that, and then it's also mentioned in 
Force Awakens, where Ray's like, I heard this ship can do the, do the yeah, Kessel yeah, Run 14 does. parsecs. Yeah. Under 12! Great line from Han. Yeah, no, it is good. Yeah. But I, I like as well, like when they, they eventually, like they take this coaxium to a place, uh, a planet where it can be, I think, like refined or something. Yes. Like ready, ready for shipment because it's explosive. Um, and when they're there, he, he's really smug and he like, he tells a passerby, he's like, hey, I just did the Kessel Run in 12 parsecs. And then like Chewie, like goes like rrr, rrr, like says something that like seemingly Chewie's disagreed with him and then Han turns to him and goes like well it is if you round it down yeah. and I thought I thought that was really funny because it's kind of taking the piss out of the iconic fable that is kind of taken through the whole series yeah um, what I like about Rogue One and now this film is that as a fan of like all the other lore and etc., it it does like a really good job at like keeping up that thing. Whereas Last Jedi played with my expectations and broke me as a fan. I don't like getting yeah. trolled. Whereas this, they like okay, it's interesting. They can troll a bit. It's fine. You can play with it, but like don't don't punch me while I'm yeah, down. Like like, <laughs> like, like like I'm not fragile. I like I I like films that really shake it shake it up. But I like films that shake it up in a way where you don't feel let down for what's come in the past. Exactly. Like, there's no point doing something shocking in a film, in a franchise, if it if it kind of, like, either casts doubt over or makes an iconic thing from prior less um, climactic. Yeah, it's almost like so overwriting like, the history so of like the project. For me, for example, I know that there was so much fuss over, like, what Luke Skywalker was going to do with the lightsaber that uh, Rey hands him at the end of Force Awakens. And while I appreciate that maybe they had to do something to show that he's kind of behind it all and a bit like downtrodden, I thought just throwing it over the shoulder just completely undermined like yeah. the, the beautiful ending of The Force Awakens. I don't know. I just, yeah, I, so yeah. I agree. I think that it's it's necessary to shake it up. I don't think necessarily Solo shakes it up enough. I think that they're... No, there are, they play there, it safe. There are, yeah, it, is, it is a safe... It's an easy-to-watch, fun heist film. There's a couple of great action sequences, for example, like the train sequence is brilliant, the Kessel sequence is fantastic. And then you essentially, when you get like down towards the, the final kind of part of the film, they go and they take this coaxium to get refined. They have a standoff with the marauders who have kind of been tailing them the whole film and are yeah. kind of like a cat and mouse to get this stuff. Um, really, really cool characters. Like the head of the Marauders has got like this crazy helmet with like jagged, like it almost looks like a caracal. It's got like these long kind yeah. of spikes on it. I like that it's a combination of, it looks like it's like bone almost. And it looks yeah. like, like um, it looks organic, but at the same time, very, very like futuristic. It was, but, it was a cool it, design. It's cool. And like the first introduction of, of this character, this Marauder King kind of thing is like jumping down onto the train to try and intercept them while they're stealing the co the first load of coaxium and he's got like this giant boom stick which like it lights up like a lightsaber and it's like he's smacking it on the ground and it's blowing them all away on the like further up the train carriage and like they start cutting down they use it to like cut down the cables that are attaching yeah. the convoy to the to Solo and Beckett shit it's like an electronic Gandalf staff yeah it's very cool very cool and so they turn up towards the end and it's kind of revealed that they're not actually marauders. They're not the villains that you've been made out to think they are. They're actually a ragtag bunch of allied species who are scared of the Crimson... Crimson Dawn. Crimson I've just Dawn. remembered it. Yeah, 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 Crimson Dawn. Um, they're, yeah, they're, they're, they're living in fear of them. You know, their their villages are being ransacked. Yep. They kind of like, their livelihoods are being taken. And so... Han and Beckett and Chewie are presented... Well, <laughs> basically, an excellent moment where the Marauders turn up. I'm sure for anyone that's seen it, it's great. It's kind of like this Wild West standoff and Han, like, had, like it it, it, showed, it, like, it puts like a an image up of Han's gun in its holster and he like unflicks it. It's very kind of like Clint Eastwood. Um, and then the moment the standoff scene kind of subsides, you just see the Falcon fly off in the distance. Like Lando's seen the Marauders turn up and he's like, fuck this shit. Like yeah. I'm out of here. Um, but like, Right after that, you realise that it's a bit of a non-event and they're not actually villains. And they present, the well, Beckett, uh, Solo and Chewie with the concept that they could give them the coaxium instead to help them fight back against the Crimson Dawn. Yep. Um, cue a whole sequence, which is really interesting. It's kind of Ocean's Eleven-y, where it culminates in Han and Chewie taking, with Kiara taking 
fake coaxium to Dryden Voss's kind of like living quarters. And he knows it's fake because they've been double crossed by surprise Beckett. But then Hans actually double crossed Beckett and he's spoken to the rebel, like the allied rebel forces about like, um, what do they do? They they stop the soldiers that have come to try and steal the real coaxium on the planet where it's being refined. But in reality, they've double bluffed them and the real coaxium is actually in the room with yeah. them. Which it's called out originally. It's interesting. Yeah it's, it's re- very, yeah, it's really interesting. And then Beckett eventually like, you know, the tables turn and he realises because he's, all he cares about is the take. He doesn't care about killing Han like Dryden Voss does. He cares about getting the money. Yeah. So he shoots the guards and he gets Chewy. He orders Chewy to take the coaxium and they flee. And it cuts to this really cool fight, final fight sequence where Dryden is fighting Kiara and Solo. Um Well, he's fight he's not fighting Kiara at the start because Kiara no. originally gets a sword out. You think she's gonna gonna help, and then she points it at Solo's chest, and we're like, oh no, 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 no. And then she attacks Bethany, and then you're like, okay, okay, so she is not gonna betray yeah. and at the last second so you, you you think you think she's finally like she's kind of semi-betrayed exactly. solo and you think finally like they're teaming up against Voss they successfully kill him there's this amazing well she kills him doesn't she she kills him yes but there's like the fight scene's great because he's got like these daggers that are almost like light red lightsaber daggers like these mini things that he holds and they're essentially knuckle dusters aren't yeah. they they're like, like, and they're yeah. slicing he's like trying to hit Solo and he's slicing through vases and things like that um, it didn't re- look like a stunt really fight cool. as well it looked like Paul Bettany was actually doing those yeah, hits which no, I really liked which I reckon he probably was doing yeah. a fair bit of it because it wasn't the most acrobatic scene but it was interesting yeah um, but yeah, they, they Kiara kills him and then kind of says to Han, like, they have a lovely embrace. It's all sweet. And they're kind of like talking about, like, we can finally get that ship and fly off. And then Kiara's like, go and chase Beckett down. I'll be down shortly. I need to, like, clear up. I don't know what the fuck she was going to do. Yeah, I don't um, know why. I don't know why he, he didn't like, just not buy it immediately. He, he goes down in the elevator, all kind of like smiles because he's kind of got his girl back and out of the regime that she was working for. And, and then. then and oh, then I told you I kept saying to you even when they were fighting I whispered to you I was like she's still rotten mate no like, I know there's, there's still something to come and Q I would say the coolest moment in one of the spin in one of the well the two spin-off films yep um, essentially you realise that she hasn't killed Voss for Han she's killed Voss for herself because she's now going to usurp the, fr- the crime throne um, she puts the ring on which is quite yeah, interesting like, she takes the ring thing. off his dead hand she doesn't. She uncovers the tattoo that she's got on her wrist. She like pulls her like I don't know what she's wearing up, but she pulls it up, and then she kind of looks out for a bit, all ominous, and then she makes a call, doesn't she, on like yeah. the hologram communication device, and none other than Darth Maul. It's bloody Darth Maul, everyone. Darth Maul turns Spoiler up. Spoiler alert! I don't care. It's Darth Maul. Oh, I think we've spoiled enough so far. Yeah, I know. I, I, I feel like we've just put yeah exactly, yeah. but very very cool. Because Darth Maul, obviously the villain in Phantom Menace, yep. ends up being sliced in half. Um, I haven't watched the Clone Wars Star Wars TV series, the animated I've watched one. watched enough to understand what's happening. Essentially, he's he gets his robot legs back. Um, so, and, so he gets given robot legs, is yes, that right? Uh, yes. Because in, in Solo, he stands up when he's talking to Kiara and he's sort of saying like, you need to come to meet me because we've, we've got things to discuss and it, it's left open-ended. Like, I feel like I haven't seen whether there's talk of a solo sequel. Well, that's the big question is that are they going to do a sequel? But it, but it definitely like, it's either just a really interesting fan service moment or it's kind of opening the concept that maybe more could return in a film. And interestingly, more could return in a film that's from the prequels because the whole thing about force awakens and etc is that they are they they not that they're rewriting the, the prequels because that's George Lucas's own work but they're trying to they they were trying to add a new thing that's the, away from the prequels and, and they were so badly trashed so to have a prequel character come into this new thing is really interesting and also the thing the, the cool thing about it is that i mean we've got the just last week the Boba Fett film was confirmed right mm which is going to be directed by James Mangold, which I think is a wicked idea. James Mangold is a great he's, idea. He's directing and writing it. And for anyone that doesn't know, James Mangold is the director of Logan, which I think is the most superior superhero film other think, than Infinity War of the last three or four years. I think for me it goes Dark Knight, 
then Logan, then Infinity War. Yeah, Logan was excellent. Yeah, Logan's fantastic. Um, and it and it was a, a classic tale of a kind of like anti-hero on his last legs. So I think if anyone's going to kind of make Boba Fett, who's a relatively, um, I, I wouldn't say he's a very fully realised character. Well, I, yet. I think he is almost on in in terms of the films, he's a blank canvas. Yes. What's interesting? There's a is, lot of directions they could go in with it. Well, the fan fiction behind Boba Fett is outrageous. He always has his own comics. They always sell um, sell quite well in the Dark Horse comic books um, because he's just such a blank a blank sheet of paper for them to write on. Um, so it'll be really good for the, to see that. Yeah. I can't wait. Okay. I cannot wait for well, that. Well, no, I, no, I think it'll be cool. And the point I was trying to make was, if you're kind of thinking about these prequels, for all we know, Darth Maul could crop up again, but not in necessarily a solo sequel. He could crop up in the Boba Fett film. Yep. He could crop up in a Kenobi film if it's ever going to be confirmed. Well, in the Clone Wars... Kenobi and him are like pitted against each other as, right, cool. like they continuously fight so that, so they could they could they could do that so I think that they've left it open-ended enough with his kind of reintroduction into the franchise that he could crop up in another spin-off but maybe they haven't decided yet yeah very cool though um and then it kind of yeah you're on to the, the final bit of the film now really where solo chases after Beckett and chewy Wild West shooting moment yep. solo shoots him and Beckett's like interesting go call back to the um, editing change in because after the tr trilogy was out and that George Lucas did some editing re-releases of it and in the original Cantina sheet scene he shoots Greedo first and then it's edited out so they shoot at the same time and then it's edited out that Greedo shoots first because you're supposed to make look it's like young kids hand shouldn't be killing someone without him being killed yeah, yeah, yeah. and so the fact that he shoots Beckett one of his friends it's it's it, just it without, an eye on to that. And, and there's no like Beckett's talking and yeah. he just does it. Yeah. Um. And he lays dying in Solo's arms and he's sort of saying like, "Well done," because like I was going to kill you. You're a good guy. Blah blah blah. Um. And then after all of that, um, you see Kiara looking on, kind of would you say wistfully or kind of like sad. Uh, like I don't know. It, it, for, me, her, it, for me, it was a power pose. Right. So as as well now, Kiara's ship, but once Voss's ship is like flying away, and Solo's on the edge of this cliff, realizing that she's not going to be coming back. She's kind of looking down at him. It is like a power pose. Yeah. It's like kind of cast any more doubt out of your mind because once you like you don't see him anymore, you need to get your game yeah. face on. You're it's the, like you're Kylo Ren Force Awakens. Door. It's like it's like that, that last bit before. It's like. This is the last bit of regrets, like Han Solo, Han Solo in Force Awakens for Kylo. This is the end of it. Now I'm going to move on to be the yeah. big bad guy in the Crimson Dawn. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it, yeah, no. And so it's it's cool. But then the film ends with a like a lovely bit of what I would say is comic relief, where it then cuts to another weird, grimy Sabak card table yeah. in some strange cantina. Did you pick up the rules to Sabak? No, but I want to learn it, mate. So do well, I. Um, well, well it, the Odeon Lux um, are handing out like fake Sabak cards. I don't know if we'll be able to play with them or not. I tell you what, well, after this, we'll, we'll look it up. We'll see if a Sabak yeah. game could be played and then we'll have to report back to people on how well, exactly. we are. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll um, do it on social media and et cetera, <laughs> that kind of thing. Live stream Sabak game. Oh. Um, I'm not going to bet my car though, mate. <laughs> like I know that Lando <laughs> bets his Falcon twice, but I'm not betting my car against you. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, point being, they, they go back to the Sabak table and they have another sequence where Han plays against him, but this time Han's disabled Lando's cheating device that he's got up his sleeve, right? And so wins the Falcon fair and square. Um, and it's very funny. It's a really nice kind of entertaining bit. It ties up the loose end because you're kind of thinking like, even though he's he's done the Falcon run that everyone knows him for, he still doesn't actually own the ship. So exactly. like, how are they going to deal with this? Um, and it's funny because you see him hand over, well, you see him hand over the Falcon. You kind of see that, I think the last shot of Glover was like a wry smile where he sort of knows that he's being caught in his own cheating game and he's kind of proud of Han for doing it, even though like they've got that real love-hate relationship. Yeah, It's kind of the, the birth of that like, trying to like outdo each other kind of dynamic. I want to see more of it, to be honest, because I feel like even Lando in the original trilogy, he's not a huge character. He's underused, definitely. He's, but, he's, but he's a very popular part of the series. Mm. Um, but yeah, and it, it, the film cuts to black with Chewie and Solo next to each other and they both put their hands on the throttle and they make the jump into light speed, and, they, and, and then that's the end of the film. It's great. Like you, I, I loved how you see his hand and Chewie's massive, like paw, massive, massive scabby paw, like push the throttle up together. I think that's really cool. 
Um, it was a really nice way to end the film. I, it was at that point when the um, credits started rolling that I realised, to be honest, I hadn't looked at my watch the whole time. No, it could um, have gone on a bit longer and I would not have I think it. I think it could have been a bit longer. Yeah, I, I, I wonder whether maybe when they release it on DVD, they'll release maybe an extended cut. Um, That'll be interesting. C- considering all the reshoots and everything, they must have a fuck ton of footage for this film. Especially there considering be- how gracious Ron Howard is being as well. Yeah. They they must have so much on the cutting room floor compared to a regular production. Mm-hmm. It would be nice to see whether maybe it wasn't such a horrible kind of director split that they might be willing to actually put some of maybe the funnier outtakes of Chris Miller and Phil Lord stuff into deleted scenes or something. I would like to see something yeah. like that. I think and that would cool. squash the whole like Disney, that beef. Like it just it would just mean that Solo can be looked at as a film rather than it's compared to other things or it's problematic because of these direct things. I, it, would be, it would tie a nice end. Yeah, I think there's, de- yeah. there's definitely a place for it, but we'll, we'll have to see. Yeah. Um, Shall we get move on to our Rotten Tomatoes things? Yeah, mate. All right. So we we have yet to title this. Um, <laughs> we want to do a little segment at the end of each review. I want a jingle. You want to? Ji- I want to jingle into <laughs> it exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll work on That's that. It, we'll yeah. work on that. We we'll might, master that. A housemates a DJ. We'll see if we, yeah, we, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll get John to cook up a beat for what we have currently named Critic Quote Awards. Indeed. Um, one of the best things about new films coming out. I mean, I'm really not a big fan of the whole like, oh, this is 100 percent on Rotten Tomatoes certified fresh. Like, I think that good ratings for films are given out way too freely nowadays, and films are equally panned way too easily um there's no there's no middle ground and i feel like rating a film a five six or seven out of ten for example has kind of lost its value Mm. no one looks at a film that's rated like six stars out of ten and thinks oh that's worth a watch they look at anything below like eight or 90 percent on rotten tomatoes and go that's probably shit not worth my time yeah um but Rotten Tomatoes does have the incredible ability to pick out a like a great like the best snippet. I don't know who does it, but pick out like the best snippet or like the bottom line comment that From each critic critics. has made about the film. So what we thought we'd do is we'd give out awards for each film. So we'd each take it in turns to find the critic quote that we think is the best summary of the film based on what we thought of it. Um, the funniest quote from a critic and the most savage quote. So what do you have for best summary of so Solo? So best summary, um, this, is got, this is from Tim Martin from The Mercury. I think it's pronounced right. There's an A in it in The Martin, so I'm a bit confused. But it's it says, Firmly rooted within the Star Wars universe, thanks largely to a script by Lawrence, Lawrence Kasdan, who knows this universe intimately and knows how to write Han. We haven't talked about this fully in the episode, but the screenwriter... Um, wrote for I think all three Star Wars films. Lawrence Kasdan yes. is like a, a Star Wars stalwart. Isn't yeah, he? he's exactly. done. He's done most of the best scripts. He's Empire Strikes Back, and he wrote Solo with his son, didn't he? Jonathan. Oh, Kasdan. I did not know that. Yeah, because I think that he, I saw that at the end. He was wasn't. Like, yeah. He wasn't originally tied to the project, um, and then I think he helped generally steer it round. I might be wrong on that. No, um, but, but that's yeah. what that's why I put the best summaries okay. because I think that's I think. That the the reason the film was for me success is because Han was written right, and also the the sequences that happened around Han happened right. There was no mysticism; it was all about the sort of smuggling and gang stuff. I think that's just due, due to the writing. It was yeah. a well written story. Okay, um, so that's why. Yeah. Well, my be- my best summary is from Michael Rechaffen at the Hollywood Reporter. What was that um, again? Sorry, just uh... Michael. I can't say it. <laughs> Rechaffen. It must be German. Yeah. Um, and he said, despite intermittent lags, the production proves to be more than a salvage operation, thanks mainly to engagingly choreographed performances led by an irresistibly charismatic title turn from Alden Ironreich. You chose a, um, you chose a nice quote Which I think was a really good way of summarising the fact that a lot of reviewers have really been like, oh, this is such a tug of war between the two films that this could have been. And I don't think it's fair to say that. I think that it runs smoothly. It's very consistent. It's well acted. And it's not a suicide squad. It's not like there were different versions of this film, massively different, mm. and you can tell. Like, it doesn't have an identity crisis. I think it's pretty coherent. Yep. I reckon Ron Howard's probably most to thank for that. Um, what did you have for funniest quote? Funniest quote. Um, this is, I'm not sure if it's funny to the listener, but it's funny to me and Jake. 
Um, things do feel shaky at first, but there's spunk to Alden Edgewright's <laughs> right, delivery. And once he settles in, a twinkle in his eye. We I, always I, talk about having, like, we what we need in films, we need more characters, spunk. more spunk. Yeah. No, I completely agree. In the, in, in the least... Um, crude sense of the term absolutely no this is not crude this spunk, is just spunk is such a weird term for kind of like vigor and character but you th- like there is something very spunky about it, solo it's just it's funny it's entertaining it's quick-witted and it, it, it's almost like a modern day swashbuckling adventure it is yeah and it, it, it stands on its own as that and i don't think that this film will be forgotten as quickly as people think it will for that reason no it's so got I, plenty I, I think of that's spunk. i think that's good but yeah we're Weird way to put it, twinkle in his eye. Yeah, I know. Um, it's an, my, it's an my, one. my funniest quote is kind of a burn of the film. This is a guy from the San Diego Reader called Matthew Lacona, who, I, I mean, I, I read this and I thought like, oh my God, this, not only does this keep going on, but also this is just a really like graphic way of like slating this film. He said, young Han can only watch helplessly as the gravity of the Star Wars children's crusade overwhelms him and the wondrous fun run gives way to a joyless slog that actually undermines the heroism of a new hope, even as it seeks to foreshadow it. Oh my gosh. Like dark as fuck. This guy it? has an issue. Yeah, this guy has a problem. I don't know whether it's like he hates Ron Howard, maybe he hates Arrested Development, yep. maybe he's pissed off about the new season or like just the, he hates Alden's character, but he was not happy with this yeah. film. And he's clearly not happy with the nature of franchises. Well, um, yeah, I feel like if you're a person who hates the nature of franchises, you're going to hate Star Wars. Yeah, and Fast because, and Furious. And, and Fast and Furious, exactly. Every, everything we like. <laughs> any, anything that we think is interesting. Yeah, exactly. Um, what did you have for your most savage quote? My most Christmas? savage. Um, this is from Jeffrey Oversteer from Looking Closer. Um, no idea. <laughs> it, no, neither do I. I have no idea. Um, it says, file solo under frivolous fan fiction. The starships streaking into light speed here is strictly the Millennials Falcon. Now, I thought that was interesting because obviously we're both, I would, do we, do yeah, we I think identify we, I as think millennials? we're classed as Millennials. Yeah, we're on that bridge, 1996, we're on that bridge. Yeah. Um, I disagree. I think it's a fun film for the whole family. I don't think yeah. it's a millennial thing. I think it's something. I don't think it's something that fifty-year-old fans will look at and be a bit pissed off by. No, not um, at all. I think that anyone that is frustrated by it will forget how kind of light-hearted a lot of the original trilogy was. It was spunky. It was so quite. It, it was. It was quite. It didn't take itself too seriously. I don't think the acting was perfect in the original no. trilogy, but it was entertaining. And I think that's the point of this film. It, well, it was again, a blockbuster in the true sense of the word, but it was also yeah. like, it's, the, what, the, the nice thing about Star Wars for me is it's always kind of like B-movie-esque. Yeah. And I like that. And that's, that's the legacy of it. So for it to be like fun and thing and saying it's the Millennials Falcon, it's kind of like, A, it's patronising. And I don't like to be patronised, but yeah. it's, it is, it is patronising. It, it's frustrating when you, when, when someone who's clearly not a millennial tells you that's how your generation feels. Exactly, exactly. But I'm sure, I'm sure there'll be plenty more time to rant about yeah. that on yeah, this yeah, podcast. Yeah. My most savage quote, I'm not going to lie, mate, it was a tie, but they're both quite short ones. I just, I thought they were both really, really horrendous dicks at the film, like really good dicks at the film, yeah. but quite like, quite undeserving in my opinion. So you had um, Sam Adams from Slate magazine who described Solo, a Star Wars story, as a quarterly earnings report in a vest and black leather boots. Oh my God. I know. Quarterly earnings report. Just aggressively unfair. Like, there's there's a lot of heart in this film. There's a lot of time and effort that went into it. Yes, it was mired in difficulty, but it still comes out. I, I refuse to believe that Sam Adams didn't laugh at all hmm. like he there are definitely bits of this film that he enjoyed and it's also it's not i i, I in one in any part of the film i did not see this as a money-making exercise no, at all no there's no way like it's, it's not a money-making exercise in the same way disney was a fucking cash cow with those pogs like classic exactly like in, in the last last jedi i felt like so much of it was designed to sell merchandise yeah and that was what pissed me off about it in this one i mean my god that lady proxima giant sense beef thing from the beginning I wouldn't want a toy version of her. Could you imagine giving one of them to your kids? No, exactly. No. And, and, it's the st- nice. and the stuff that's going to be used as used as toys and etc. Millennium Falcon. Millennium Falcon. That'll be the thing that's sold. Like, like, not, and like, exactly. So they don't they don't get too bogged down in that. The other savage quote is from a guy called A. A. Dowd from the AV Club, which I really like as I a like reviewing body. Club, I think yeah. they're really great. But he was quite critical of it. He said, um, Solo struck me as intellectual property unconvincingly arranged into a movie. 
So that's, again, another dig at the commercialism of the film. Yeah. I don't think that was really an issue for me. No. I don't think I looked at it and thought like, oh, this is so classic money-making. And also when you've got films like Casino Royale, which I love, that has a watch line in it saying, Rolex, no, Omega. Like, yeah. Like oh, when, God. Oh, 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 and, 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 and that, I think it's just because everyone... There's, there's a part of everyone that's kind of hates the fact that Disney have taken over it and it's not like this independent people are, thing. People are still quite butthurt about it. And I think if you get over that fact and realise that LucasArts are still generally speaking pulling the strings yeah. creatively, well, I, I suppose we'll never know for sure. But I get that impression from this film. I feel like it was a real, it wasn't um, a constant homage to the character. It did its own thing. It was interesting. It wasn't a regular Star Wars film, similar to Rogue One. I like that but not so much of a setup to the original trilogy as Rogue One was. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just thought it was really good. I don't think it deserves all that criticism, but quarterly earnings report in a vest and black leather boots. Is uh, and a, intellectual I, I property. Wish, wow. I, wish, I wish I could write like that. Imagine. I know, I know. Um, I'd done a three-year English degree and I still can't write no, like that. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, all right, bottom line, what would you rate it out of 10? I would say, for me, it's a solid seven. And we talked about this earlier in terms of like how like a seven, like I love this film. It doesn't do anything groundbreaking that I've never seen before, which is what I would yeah, push I agree. eight, nine, tens into for me. Um, but it's it's so fun. And it's and for me, it's like there's so there's so much invested thing in the Star Wars thing. And they've 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 paid their fans off right. It's, it doesn't it's, take itself too seriously. Exactly. And yeah, it, yeah. Solid I, I, seven. I would agree. I, I would I would give it a seven, maybe edge to a seven point five. I definitely say that if you yeah, we are doing half ratings. Well, that is a thing. I know. I just uh, I just I just, yeah, I, just I, saw, did a, I saw you I saw you frown at me. You're like oh, we didn't talk about this. Okay. Um, no, I I'd say I'd say seven seven point five. Yeah. Um, I think an eight would be a bit too gracious considering it's not doing anything really incredible. Like I'm not going to be thinking about this for ages. No but it's not the point. Um, yeah, I thought it was a terrific film. I would definitely say that if you haven't been to see it yet, it's been, when's it been out? It's been out since last it- Thursday. We're recording this on Monday the 28th. So we're about five or six days late to the party, aren't yeah. we? And so- I've seen reports that Solo is like the the lowest, in the recent years, the lowest Star Wars opening. So go and see it. Like yeah, it's really give good. It, give it like some it's love. Really, really give it good. some love. It's a good film. Um, right, that that wraps up our first that episode. It. Um, yeah, that was all right. Well, you can take a deep breath. Now, I know right? I can relax. It's we're um, done. We're done. So, in terms of the format, we're going to hopefully be releasing an episode of the fifty-two week film project every week. Obviously, the idea yep. is we try and review fifty-two films in a year, once a week. Um, up for next week's podcast, we haven't fully set it in stone, but we do want to consider doing a series where we go through Oscar Best Picture winners yep. in our um, lifetime, though. So, so starting from around around about nineteen ninety. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we will we will see whether we decide that. If not, we'll probably be returning with another new film to review from the cinema. Um, thank you very much for listening. Thank you. Following, um, I feel like yeah, we need yeah, to following, push we, our we need to, we need to plug it. Yep. So we have all your regular social media channels. We've got um, fifty two week film project at Twitter. We have Instagram. You can follow us. We're going to be setting up a Facebook page. Yep. We will also be putting the podcast straight onto SoundCloud, as we know that's quite an easy route. But we are going to be uploading it through Anchor and hopefully getting it out to Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or whatever you're listening to it on currently. Oh, uh, thank you very Great much. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Will. Hi. Um, thank you, Jake. What a lovely, what a lovely first time we've this had. This was good. This, this was, was fun. Don't call it a first time again. That's weird. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> How dare you? Um, Yes, first podcast done. Thank you very much for listening and we will see you next week.